0: Today's podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and many more, and you can make money from your podcasts. It's everything you need to do to make a podcast in one place. So If you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm
1: to get started. When you're working on a piece of magic, sometimes you don't know if you will be able to finish it when you start, because you start with this grand impossible vision that just is so unattainable that you think, you know, you're never going to find a way to make it work. And and the process is that, y- you know, you start with something that you know is impossible, and then you just come up with a hundred terrible ideas for how you might make it work. And then you look at those ideas and you realize that two of them aren't as, as bad as the others. So then you focusing on those and you know you just keep iterating and iterating and iterating and and that that process takes often years but the result at the end of it is this this you know piece of magic that you can perform and you know it'll be good because you put in the work
0: This is Mark P Fisher chief encourager with inspiring growth and at inspiring growth what we do is we inspire growth with leaders and their brands now. Today's podcast, oh, mm, I'm so excited! It's part one of a two-part fascinating conversation with the world-renowned magician Nate Staniforth. And I'm super encouraged to be partnering with our sponsor, Cause Inspired Media. So, I like to say it this way: If you run a nonprofit uh, or it runs you, you actually may be eligible, your organization, for $120,000 worth of free advertising per year from Google. So if you're interested in that idea, and and several of my clients are taking full advantage of that, you can find out if you qualify. Just scoot over to our website at inspiringgrowth.biz and click on free Google ads. That's inspiringgrowth.biz. Okay. Are you ready to jump into some magic? Let's go. Nate Stanforth is in the studios today via Zoom on Inspiring Growth. Welcome, Nate. Thanks for being our guest.
1: Sure, Mark. Thanks so much
0: for having me. So Nate is a magician. He's a writer. He wrote a really cool book I read called Here is Real Magic, a magician's search for wonder in the modern world, which captured me as soon as I heard that. You're a traveler. You're a host of the Discovery Channel show, which I have not seen yet, Breaking Magic, I just watched a bunch of your YouTubes, and, and my favorite part of watching you do magic with people is watching the facial expressions of people, like yeah. wonder appears. And folks, don't think of Nate's work as some cheesy, overhyped magic show. I mean, he is on a mission, and that's what I hope to explore today with you as listeners of Inspiring Growth, sort of the why behind his journey. So Nate's going to be our guide in finding more wonder in our lives. But his path is pure struggle that's led to growth. Nate, I want you to talk a little bit about this idea of being a magician and why in the world did you choose that path?
1: Well, let me start with this. I think if we're honest, most people don't care at all about magic tricks, but everyone cares about wonder. And I became fascinated and with magic when I was a little boy, because I I discovered that you know when magic tricks are bad, they're worse than just about anything. But when they're good, it becomes a way to to share that experience of wonder with the people around you, and and to find it for yourself. You know, um, I remember when I was when I was very young. The first piece of magic I ever learned was this very simple coin vanish. You put a coin in your hand, you close it. And when you open it, the coin you know disappears. And in the way that kids become sort of obsessed with video games or sports or you know it's different for every kid but for me my thing was working on this coin trick until it felt real until, until it didn't look like a trick it just looks like the coin disappeared and i remember one day on the playground i i made the coin disappear for a group of my friends just because i wanted to see how they'd respond but One of the things that I I have learned since then that I didn't know now, or I didn't know at the the time, is that when people know that they're watching a magic trick, they understand that they're going to see something crazy because that's what that's what you see that's what you sign up for when you go to see a magic show. But these kids didn't know they were watching a magician. They just saw something disappear. So they didn't they didn't laugh, they didn't clap. They just started screaming and and running away and and so just imagine for a second you're the teacher on duty at the playground, right? And you look across the schoolyard and you see this group of kids screaming and running away and I'm standing there in the center. So this teacher, and I was, I was terrified of this woman. She stormed across the playground and demanded that I show her whatever I showed the kids to, to make them you know, run away like that. So I took the coin out and made it disappear for her. And when I looked up, it was as if she had become a little kid again. I, it, that transformation of stern, authoritarian, kind of angry teacher to... You know, whatever it is that people become when they see something impossible, like that transformation, was far more amazing than than the trick that I had performed. And and you know, I I realized, I guess, at a a young age that you can you can say something with a magic trick that's harder to say any other way. And and I wanted to chase that as hard as I could.
0: Well said. And your your husband, you you're a father. You have a couple of kids.
1: I do, yeah. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 12 years, and we have two young boys.
0: And what do they say daddy does when asked?
1: <laughs> they know that I'm a magician. I think they haven't learned yet. That's an unusual profession. They came to see me work for the first time uh, about a year ago, and they sat through the show, and, and afterwards everyone was standing and clapping, and both boys just immediately stood up and raced to the stage and started bowing to everyone. Uh, so <laughs> I love it.
0: I love that. Oh my gosh. Well, as a father of five, I have a confession. I'm embarrassed because I'm sure you hear this frequently, but I do have a magic trick myself.
1: That's great. Yeah.
0: It's the three ropes where each are a different size and you pull them together and you pull them down and all of a sudden they're all the same size. And I use this to illustrate a lot of different things over the course of my life, but I will never forget the time I was in Amman, Jordan. I, I, went to, I was in the Middle East, and I was doing this magic trick because I just practiced it all the time. I just loved watching people re- react, and it was usually positive. But on this day, I did it for a bunch of little kids outside of Petra, which is uh, the rock fortress in, in Jordan. And they freaked out and ran and got the village elders and I didn't. like you know, I, They couldn't understand my language, so it wasn't. They couldn't understand. I was trying to tell this positive story of, uh, about the divine, and 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 so these village elders come over to me. I do the trick, and they start screaming and yelling and cursing. And I was like, Ah, I'm sorry. I was just. Trying to entertain your kids. Yeah. So over the course of, of my five kids' lives for the last 29 years, they're like, "Up, oh, there goes dad again.
1: You know, I think everyone should learn one great piece of magic. Because with, with a good trick, you do see a side of humanity that is normally kept private you know, I think all of us are sort of performing for each other all the time, right? Down to the clothes we wear and the words we use and, and the, the aura that we just, just sort of the, the energy that we're giving off to the world. We, we do that in part to shape the way that people see us and interpret what we're saying and the way they think about us. And, and that's, that's a lot of work, right? To, to sort of keep that performance running. And, and one of the things that happens when you see something impossible is that your brain just doesn't have the bandwidth to keep that performance up any longer. So it falls away. And so as a magician, you see this side of people that is open and unguarded and unprotected. And, and it's, it's the most beautiful part of the job. I remember I, about a year ago, I went to do magic at a maximum security prison. And when I walked in, they wanted nothing to do with me. You know, these were guys who were in prison for life. And before I did anything, it was tough, hostile, antagonistic, aggressive. And then the magic happened and it was like a switch flip and they were just jumping up and down, you know, it, it was, and, and who else gets to see that side of those people? And, uh, I, I don't know. I, I highly recommend, you just need one. You don't have to, you don't have to become a magician. You just need one really good trick. Well said. Well,
0: listen, folks, if I was you, I would be pausing the podcast, I'd be running over to YouTube, and I'd be watching the tricks (laughs) and magic and wonder and amazement. And when you do this, look at the faces of people.
1: Yeah,
0: Nate, tell that story at the beginning of your book about that college audience at the, I think it was a a bar.
1: Yeah. Let me say this. I've toured the U.S. since I was, what, 22, 23, something like that and have seen, you know, some of the best and many of the worst venues in the country, right? Just all over bars, clubs, colleges, universities. And the book that Mark referenced, Here's Real Magic, starts out with a story from from a time I was performing at a college on a bar. It was a bar that was on campus in their student, student union, or, or, or I, don't, I don't remember what they called the building, but it was something like that. And the audience was about Equally divided between people who had come to see me perform and people who just come to have a drink, and and so you know every audience is different. But this on this particular night, it was a much bigger effort to to bring them over to my side. And I have just sort of learned in my time as a performer that when you're faced with a, a tough audience. Sometimes you just have to fight with them and, and sort of, you know, win their attention by shocking them into, um, silence. And so I walked out on stage and, uh, you know, and people were booing when they read my introduction and, and I just, like, I, I walked out on stage and identified the toughest looking guy in the room that I could find. And I climbed up on, on his table. And so I'm, I'm standing now in the middle of the audience on this guy's table and that got, that got their attention. You know, they weren't expecting that. And then I did a piece of magic with him directly, you know, because one, you know, one of the lessons that you learn is the, the social proof that comes from seeing other people's reactions in a show is a big part of a a live performance. And so if you can get, you know, if you can get the toughest person in the room to respond with what what you're doing that gives a lot of permission to everyone else in the room who might not initially want to be seen as thinking that your magic show is cool you know if you can if you can impress sort of the alpha figures in the room it 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 gives this social permission to everyone else to sort of let their you know, to, to connect with it. And, and so that's, that's what I did. And, and on that night, it, it worked particularly well. And after the piece of magic, this show that could have been a disaster turned into a really fun night.
0: And, and folks, what Nate did was essentially call out multiple people from the audience to give him a number. And he had this guy having a hand on Nate's wallet And so everyone calls out these random numbers, and I'm sure you could tell it better. I mean, I could read it from the book, but this is my remembrance of the experience of reading it because I didn't even see it. This guy who you've chosen, the alpha male of the room, has his hand on your wallet. People are calling out numbers. He then, randomly, he then, you say to the guy, I want you to open up my wallet pull out a lottery ticket and he reads off the numbers from this lottery ticket which match exactly everyone in the audience's numbers right kind of like that yeah it's a good trick
1: but <laughs>
0: i've stopped asking how i just my my reaction is that is amazing
1: that that one piece of magic without exaggeration was was 6 years of work and uh, yeah you know it when you're working on a piece of magic sometimes you don't know if you will be able to finish it when you start, because you start with this grand impossible vision that just is so unattainable that you think, you know, you're never going to find a way to make it work. And, and the process is that, you know, you start with something that you know is impossible, and then you just come up with a hundred terrible ideas for how you might make it work. And then you look at those ideas and you realize that two of them aren't as, as bad as the others. So then you focus in on those and, you know, you just keep iterating and iterating and iterating. And, and that, that process takes often years, but the result at the end of it is this, this you know, piece of magic that you can perform, and you know it'll be good because you put in the work.
0: Six years. I mean, that is a <laughs> testimony of persistence.
1: Yeah, magicians are a stubborn folk. <laughs>
0: hey, I want to pause our interview with Nate Stanaforth to tell you about Cause Inspired Medium. If you run a nonprofit, or as I like to say, it runs you, you might be eligible for $120,000 worth of free advertising from Google. So if you're interested in finding out if you're eligible, go to inspiringgrowth.biz and click on free Google Ads, and we'll contact you to see whether or not your nonprofit is eligible for this fabulous grant from Google. Now let's jump back into the show. I have a friend of mine who who made this observation one time, please don't judge me by the chapter of my story you walked in on. Wow. And I thought it was so relevant. You know, when we look at you, when I look at you, I go, oh, this dude's on YouTube. He's doing, he's doing national tours. He's written a book. He's made it. He's, he's done it. But you didn't just, that chapter. I mean, I walked in on that chapter. Yeah. Do me a favor. Go backwards a little bit in your story and talk about the days early on when you were trying to make it in LA and what happened.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm honored that that's your impression, but I think if you talk to anyone who's had any kind of success, especially in the entertainment world, but but probably in any field, mm-hmm. from the inside, it just feels like failure after failure after failure. And, and you know, I... Being a magician is the only job I've ever had. It's all I've ever wanted to do. It's all it's all that I've done, but it is a rocky road going from you know a little kid in Iowa who wants to become a professional magician and then someone who's actually doing it. And um, when I finished school, I, I assumed that I had to live in a big city to to make it in magic. So I went out to Los Angeles. What
0: and- does a magician study in school? <laughs>
1: Uh, I, you know, I went to school on an acting scholarship because I originally thought that studying stagecraft would help me become a better performer. But, you know, what I found is I found pretty quickly that I was learning far more from the, the performances that I was doing, from doing magic at bars and frat parties and sorority parties and in the dorms. You know, there, there are a lot of opportunities to do magic as a college student. And, and that's where I was learning. And so I I switched over to study history and religion, and just because I was interested, um, but but I knew full well that when I left school I would be a magician. I wasn't. I was in college to learn, but uh, it had nothing to do with the job that I wanted when I was done. So I finished school and I went out to Los Angeles, and my plan, which failed spectacularly, was to rent a theater and. And do a show, and and you know, I I I wonder if you've heard of Malcolm Gladwell's theory of ten thousand hours of excellence. Are you familiar with this? Where where what it takes you know to attain mastery of a a skill is ten thousand hours of dedicated study and practice. And I hit my ten thousand hours the summer I turned twenty two. So so when I was a teenager, I was just. It was you know I was obsessed it was all I woke up early I practiced before school I practiced during school i 'd come home and work on my craft sleight of hand technique performance, you know just all of the the skills that you need so I thought you know that's in order to succeed you just have to to learn the right skills and, and then success will just come so my plan was to uh, rent a theater and put on the greatest show anyone had ever seen. And my only my only marketing was to I printed a thousand postcards. And I was just gonna wander around handing them to people, and then trust that that would lead to people coming to the show. Turns out that's not really how it works. And so that began this three month spiral towards <laughs> financial insolvency, as nobody came to the show, or maybe a couple nights. I think the most people I ever had in the audience were 20 and one night one guy came and when he discovered he was the only person in the audience, he just stood up at the beginning and asked for his money back and left. And, and it, it was a, a sobering sort of crashing catastrophe of a realization that, that becoming good at something and being able to make a living at that thing are, are sometimes wildly different. And, just because you're an artist doesn't mean that people are ready to listen to to the work you you have to make or the things that you have to say, and yeah, it was it was rugged, it was it was rough.
0: I can't remember. Were you married yet?
1: I can't. Were you? No, not yet. Uh, although uh, my wife Catherine was doing a an internship at UCLA that summer, and so it, you know it was funny. She lived in Westwood, where you UC, the UCLA campus is in student housing, and and that I mean it's a beautiful part of the city, and it sort of feels you know. There are good restaurants and there are parks and nice places to walk around, and I lived on the same street, Santa Monica Boulevard, but about forty-five minutes east, uh, in a neighborhood that was not at all, you know, nice in in sort of any meaning. You know, it was just there were bars over all the windows, and and uh, the only way. I, I remember sitting in the courtyard of the, the building and, and reading because there I, at least I could see the sky and the sunlight. And, uh, um, you know, it was, it was a, it was a rough time, but I learned a lot. And, and just by luck, one of the few people who came to my show was able to, you know, connect me with, um, an agent. And, and then I ended up having the the opportunity to tour on the college circuit, which which was a big part of my career for a long time. So so it ended well. I learned a lot in that that very short period of time. Like, this is going to be far harder than I thought. It, no one's going to hand you anything. Um, a career isn't just something that you prepare for. It's something that you have to build piece by piece. Oh, uh, say that again. Well, you know, because, because I, I had been operating on the assumption, sort of like the field of dreams model, right? If you build it, they will come. So, so up until that point, I had, I had built my entire life around becoming the greatest artist that I could be. So I was reading all the time, I was writing, I was, you know, creating new material and practicing and inventing. All of my energy went into the craft, which is great if, if you have a way of sharing that with people. But, but I realized that it wasn't just enough to print a thousand postcards and, and send them out into the world that that um, you know, you can have an audience, but sometimes you have to go out and, and build it one person at a time.
0: And one of the things I hear in your story is that the, the power of just one person believing in you. Yeah. Like there was this yeah, one person right. that said, wait a minute, you've got something. Let me help you connect with. I mean, when, when that person... Believed in you. How did that affect
1: you? Do you remember? Yeah, it 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 felt like. I mean, it felt like I was on this sinking ship, and then here's someone who has an extra spot on one of the life rafts. You know, it 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 changed everything because now finally, finally, I have an outlet for all of all of this material that I had been venting, and and you know, I my problem was never having something to say; it was just having a place to say it, and so. Yeah. It just took one person seeing it who had the opportunity to help. Um, And, and the the thing is, you never know who that person is or or when it's going to, when it's going to happen.
0: And this is the thing inspiring growth listeners that I want, I I mean, Nate's story is a story of somebody believing in him and setting him on a trajectory, but looking for that person is often a futile attempt to find someone that believes in you. I, I heard it once said that, um, a psychologist said that our self-image is often shaped by what the most important person in our life thinks about us. And if we're, if we're waiting for that person, that affirmation, whether it's a parent or some guy in LA or whatever it is, it's a, it's a, it's a struggle finding that. And so when I listen to your story, Nate, I hear, Hey, I'm going to be who I'm going to be in all of how I'm wired. um, And hopefully hopefully the gift to the world will be discovered. But here's the thing, inspiring growth listeners. Sometimes we're that person. Sometimes we're the encourager that sees somebody and we reach out on that sinking ship and say, come on into my life, life uh, raft. And I, I just want to encourage, just, just pause for a moment and invite you to consider who, who around you could you lift up? Who could you inspire? Who could you say, you know what? I see something. i I really believe that you've got something going on there. You have no idea the power that you have in that simple gift. So I'm, I'm encouraged to hear you receive that as well. Well, Nate, you were talking about your wife and one of, uh, one of the, one of my favorite parts of the book is the story about your wife's favorite flowers. So much. So we were, my wife and I were driving down the road and I said, Oh my gosh, can I read this to you? And she's like, Read what and I said. Oh, I gotta, I gotta do. So I read this whole thing, and I'm messing it up. Like I'm get, she, she's confused about who's what in the story, and and I finally had to stop and say, I'm sorry. I'm just so excited about this story, I'm not reading it very well. So I went back and read it really slowly and deliberately, and she was like, Wow, how did he do yeah. that? <laughs> Would you please tell my listeners why you went across the ocean? What was driving you, and what happened on that day?
1: Yeah. So the greatest magician in the world is a man named David Berglis. Who's he's in his nineties now, uh, and and he used to be a superstar in the UK. He was before even before television, um, before the BBC. He did magic on the radio.
0: How do you do? Ma- I mean, so many things I want to say right there. I'm not going I'm not gonna. Pu- I'm not gonna interrupt. But please, please, how do you do magic on the radio? That just is
1: crazy. Just consider for a second, that one way of looking at magic is as a form of storytelling. And so if, if you can believably tell a story that includes an impossible event, then you can give people the experience of magic just by talking to them. And so he spent a lot of time thinking about how to, how to frame a performance of magic. So, so you could just listen to it and still be amazed. And so there'd be a live audience watching him and he'd perform for this live audience, but use his language in a way to paint a picture in, in the minds of the listeners so they could follow the action as well. And, you know, also it was a time before television and and radio was king. And so people were already used to to listening to stories on the radio and, uh, and there, there was a built-in audience for that already, but, but so he was a master of magic on the radio and then television came and he was one of the first magicians to perform and, and, and in the United, in the United Kingdom, he was a superstar. He was a legend. Uh, and then at the height of his powers, he, he just disappeared and retired and, and, uh, devoted his time to his family and, and, uh you know he he'd perform magic he had performed magic that no one in the world could explain and and magicians from all across the globe would fly into to the UK to to watch him perform and you can read the letters that they wrote or the accounts of his work that they they uh, took down and it's just it's it's unbel- it's it's so different than the other magic that was being performed that it's as though he had just created his own school of magic his own out, out of whole cloth right just out of his imagination and and it was so good that no one could explain it. So so he retires, and years later, when I'm a freshman in college, word goes out in the magic world that the great David Burgless has written a book with all of his um, with all of his secrets. And you know, I'll I'll leave that book uh, for another story. But I I became so captivated by the way he thought about magic. That I asked if I could co meet him. I said I'd meet you anywhere in the world if we can just talk about magic for a little while. And so he invited me over to his house north of London and and I went there.
0: Hey folks, thanks for listening to Inspiring Growth and our first Of two conversations with magician Nate Staniforth. I know it's crazy to break it up, but I want you to come back and listen to the second part of our interview. Hey, I want to thank Dylan Garvin uh, with his company Studio D Podcast Productions for editing today's episode and for our sponsor, Cause Inspired Media. If you run a nonprofit and you're looking for $120,000 worth of free advertising from Google, You know what to do. Go over to our website, inspiringgrowth.biz, and click on free Google ads, and we'll see whether or not your organization qualifies. Hey, two things before you go, I'd love to hear from you. At the bottom of the show notes on your podcast, you can record a message for me. I might even play it on a future Inspiring Growth podcast. So here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for your suggestions for future podcasts or feedback about what you love and, or maybe ideas to help me get better maybe you have a question you wish I had asked a previous guest I may bring them back or maybe just do your best impersonation of our podcast, something funny, I don't know so just look for the send a voicemail message button in your show notes at the bottom of the podcast and if you'd like to show some more love please become an inspiring growth partner Well, click on the show notes button and click on the support the podcast. It's super easy to begin as a monthly supporter for as little as 99 cents a month. I mean, you can do more, but it's super easy. Oh, by the way, if you love that super sick intro music, check out the folks at Punch Deck. That song is called Coalescence. They've got a YouTube channel. Check them out wherever you listen to music. Punch Deck. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Mark B. Fisher. And remember... Our best connections with others happen when we are kind, present, and ask good questions.